Welcome to Airway Breathing Conversation, a podcast presented by the anesthesiology residents at the University of Saskatchewan, created to provide individuals of all levels of medical knowledge with anesthesiology-related healthcare information. This episode is part of our abridged Grand Round series, in which highly knowledgeable and sought-after guest speakers present on a multitude of fascinating topics relevant to anesthesia. Join us for Grand Rounds this week, where Dr. Anne-Marie Friesen, a PGY3 anesthesiology resident at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, discusses the psychology of performance and how it pertains to medicine. Now, whether you are an anesthesiologist, resident, medical student, or member of the general public, come listen in as we demystify the incredible specialty that is anesthesiology one episode at a time. My name's Anne-Marie. I'm one of the uh, R3s in anesthesia. Um, and I'll be talking to you about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So it's on performance psychology and medicine. Now, my initial plan was to have uh, a guest speaker come and talk to us. Um, however, he was busy this morning, but um, I met with him during the past couple of weeks, kind of went over my talk. It's not an extensive talk, but I was hoping... Uh, I think you guys saw the objectives, which I will go through in the next slide. I'll start sharing my screen and I'll pause my video. Um, perfect. And then I will go through the objectives. So my goals today from this talk is a little bit to brush upon the um, dichotomy of adversity in our lives. And I think you guys will see with one of my slides, uh, discuss how to optimize preparedness for performance and provide you a framework to improve performance. So a little bit about uh, the speaker that I was hoping to get onto um, our grand rounds, but unfortunately can't make it. Um, so Dr. Jason Brooks is the first person that came to mind when I was told that I had to do a grand rounds. Um, since he isn't here to introduce himself, I thought I would do so. So Dr. Brooks holds a PhD in performance psychology and has a longtime coach, uh, has been a longtime coach to many athletes, Olympians, and um, specifically also acute care physicians. He's given many talks and has been invited on multiple podcasts, namely the CMHA website. So I don't know if you guys watch or followed their series during COVID. Um, he did a session on physician wellness during the COVID-19 series on maintaining high performance in times of stress. He also has a YouTube video from a talk uh, he provided from Rebel EM, which Rebel stands for Rational Evidence-Based Evaluation of Literature and Emergency Medicine. And he did that talk in 2019 on navigating through adversity and setbacks in medicine. In my humble opinion, Dr. Brooks is a very poised, approachable and caring man. When he talks about adversity, failure and performance, he does it so eloquently and with confidence. So I apologize if I'm not able to um, portray that as well, but I will do my best. I'm saddened by the fact that he can provide this talk to us, but like I said, I'll do my best. I first came across Dr. Brooks in the year of 2020. I was listening to a sports uh, podcast, which I kind of do often, like often for anyone who knows me, and they were interviewing a performance psychologist. So they were talking about how to improve performance overall. And then he mentioned that he worked with physicians. Um, 
Yeah. And so I looked him up and I was even more excited to find out that he works in the province of Manitoba uh, with the emergency medicine department and with their residency program. Uh, at that time, I thought it was a good idea to reach out to him. I was a little bit in the crisis in my life where I was dealing with one of my close colleagues in medicine suicide. And um, Dr. Brooks was human enough to listen to me. We connected on the fact that his journey started with weightlifting. Um, at that time, I was powerlifting, and it was interesting enough that he started his interest in performance when he was also uh, greatly into sports. Um, so this is one of my first slides. I took it from his presentation from Rebel EM. So this is a little bit of a snippet. Um, might be a bit of an uncomfortable thought talk, um, but I think it'll be thought provoking, which was essentially one of my goals. So I'm sure everyone has encountered, and I'm not sharing anything new, um, that life is full of adversity. We're often called upon to deal with human suffering in every day, especially in medicine, where time constraints and performance are part of our daily lives. And he used this picture to really describe the dichotomy of adversity in our lives. So experiences have the power to create newfound strengths, perspectives, understanding, skills, and knowledge. However, these experiences can destroy our confidence, belief in ourselves, our passion, and certainly affect what is possible. Don't we all learn from our failures rather than our strengths? Don't we tell ourselves, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? Sometimes we've been in a state where performance is our greatest barrier. However, it's not the experience itself, but rather what we, we take from it, how we heal from it, and how we process it that will determine which of what this experience will do, essentially teach or torture. Sometimes through the, these experiences, the stories we tell ourselves need to change. When I was talking to Jason several weeks ago, he mentioned that he spends a fair bit of time dealing with um, or challenging uh, physician stories, the stories we tell ourselves and the narratives. And that sometimes in order to grow, we need to update and challenge that story and make the narrative more accurate and probably fitting to who we are now. By adapting that narrative, one should be better suited to recognize what he or she needs in order to prepare. In order, that allows us to better uh, probably look into more training, seek out mentoring in order to feel more comfortable. So with that, um, I'll start with a quote that uh, Jason in, had in one of his uh, talks. Because physicians are humans, they are prone and susceptible to distracting thoughts, heightened emotions, which can empower emotion and reactions while performing under difficult situations, high pressure and high cost of failure. Interesting thought about the, his podcast where he mentioned that we spend so much time and money on mentally training some of our athletes to deal with adversity and prepare for a special day. Yet in the world of medicine, no one necessarily equips us before we step on the rink. So this is a model that he presented. I think it was 2019 when I talked to him about or presented this one to him. He thought it was quite interesting because he would probably would have updated it since such. But I thought it was a great place to kind of like start. So it goes in a circular wheel, which I will kind of like break down. Um, so the first one is awareness, which starts at the top. So 
the idea here is to become self-aware. So that implies that we think about some of the situations or circumstances that might be occurring that have a potential to take away our focus. And just before I continue, this is a wheel that he kind of provided in one of his talks in order to try and optimize performance. So as I mentioned, the first one is to become self-aware. So have those thoughts and kind of have a moment in order to think about what is going on in your life that could possibly straight take away your attention to what you're doing in the present. So for instance, the who, the what, the when that he also mentions. So the idea of being self-aware and reflecting and dealing and or acknowledging the circumstances that precede your event. Once one does that comes self-suggestion. So here the idea is that how we think dictates basically how we feel and becomes our experience. So whatever you imprint on your brain, it becomes your request. It takes the data of how you think, I'm not ready, I'm not good enough, I've never done this before. I'm sure this all seems very familiar to you guys. If you think that, you imprint it in your brain and it, your physiology happens. So this is the idea that once you recognize or you're aware of what happens before, um, now is time to kind of like try and dissect it. Try to think about those thoughts that are hindering you or that might not optimize your preparedness. So guiding your own thoughts. The next step in this is the emotional preparation. So the idea of inoculating yourself. It's similar to self-suggestion, except it's a little bit more emotional. So this implies that you put yourself in the situation that brings those negative emotions. One of the examples that he has in one of his articles is, for instance, I think it was a physician ready to do a thoracotomy. So I'm not sure if something was going on in life prior to or something wasn't optimal. The self-suggestion part would be, oh, my goodness, I haven't done this in so long. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this. I'm not good enough to do this. And the emotional preparation would be really to put yourself in the negative um, emotion and think about those. Um, so one of the examples that I had is, for instance, if you're working with a staff that you find unpleasant and imagining your optimal response pattern. Um, so the idea of living your emotions in advance which is interesting because I was talking as I was talking to Dr. Brooks, he says that he has implemented a lot of workshops with his residency program in order to try and um, actually do stress inoculation workshops and to try and break down their um, thinking process. Um, so, yes, one of the examples that Dr. Brooks also uses is you want to be also with thermostat and set the temperature and the tone rather than be a thermometer reading the energy and reacting to the energy. So by inoculating, you kind of go through your emotions and then you can better ready yourself, address, acknowledge your feelings, and then try to imprint the emotions um, that you want to set forward. After that, there's the idea of mindfulness and accepting, which I kind of grouped as centering techniques. So as you trigger your mind, after that, inoculate yourself with the emotion, go through all the, the emotions. You need techniques to essentially center yourself. So there's a big talk about mindfulness and awareness te techniques um, that he suggests. So 
It means paying attention, seeing things as a thought and probably not being judgmental. So recognizing your emotions and recognizing that they are there, feeling them, and also granting them the power that they are allowed. They are simply emotions and they are thoughts. Another example of mindfulness that he used in one of his podcasts was he had a surgeon that was having, for instance, a slow day and was feeling frustrated. To be mindful, he took a moment and looked at his feelings and thoughts and recognized them for what they were, a thought, in order to not let them dictate his, his, his oh my goodness, physiology, sorry. So thoughts are thoughts. They aren't the moment. Creating a space between that allows you to not spiral into your emotions. Thoughts are as important and feelings are as important as you allow them to be. The last part of this uh, wheel is essentially reflection. So I think he grants a lot of importance to uh, the lesson that you get into things. So being reflective, so breaking things down, and we take the lessons and analyze those for what they are. So part of this is also recognizing and acknowledging emotions as being real. As he mentioned to one of his friends, Dr. Curtable, who was a cardiothoracic surgeon from Virginia, um, his quote was, start by being human and work backwards. We often have emotional response during adversity, but you cannot shortchange yourself of that. So we have to allow ourselves the feelings and allow the emotional experience. Don't judge it, feel it. So the mental patterns we construct can help or hinder performance. So these are kind of like the takeaways that are meant to try and optimize preparedness to perform and minimize the effects of human factors impairing performance. So it can, it's a continuous wheel and I'll keep adapting. Um, but I thought it was, it really spoke to me when I saw it and when I listened to his podcast. Um, and I probably for myself don't pay attention so much. Um, yeah. The next slide I have was one of his papers that he published, I think it was with the University of Manitoba. Um, it's similar to the wheel that was provided, but it has a little bit more um, simplicity to it. So the background for this study was that recent studies show that certain psychological interventions, such as training in mindfulness, being aware of oneself, thoughts and sensations in the moment and meditation can help individuals cope with stress and anxiety in different circumstances. And this I'm reading directly from the paper. I just thought that since um, there are a lot of evidence-based people in our program, I thought I would bring this um, actual publication forward um, for just as means of interest. So the PEPS is, a distinct, is distinct from these concepts because it encompasses a variety of techniques for regulating arousal and improving performance just before or in moments of high stress. Um, yeah, and it's based, like it's founded on evidence-based um, theories and has been published. So this article describes four distinct evidence-based performance enhancing skills, PEPS, Breathe, talk, seat, and focus. So in this model of PEPS, he uses the acronym BTSF, which you can see on uh, my slide. So this is a um, simpler model. The first part of B is breathe. So using performance enhancing breathing offers the ability to control and focus attention on breathing. 
try and decrease the immediate stress response. So different breathing techniques have been used to develop during the thousands of years to perform to perform um, different sports, martial arts, meditative practice, yoga, um, and respiration is one of the only autonomic functions that can be controlled and modified consciously. Has therefore be engaged as a means to control the effects of one's emotional response. And there's a close bi-directional relationship between respiration and emotional state, which I'm sure I'm not teaching anyone anything new. So the one technique that they had in his article was the box breathing. Now I'm not sure how many people are familiar with this one. Um, what was I watching? I think I was watching the series with uh, Chris Hemsworth and he was training for, I think, a cold plunge. Um, and they did a lot of box breathing. So essentially it's inhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds and hold that for four seconds and repeat the process. So that is one technique that they suggest for breathing. The next one is similar to what we've talked about in the other wheel model, but talk. So positive cell talk, monologue with specific contact content, sorry, and structure of statements. So here kind of similar to, um, I guess, self-suggestion, centering techniques um, and being mindful. Um, so here they suggest keep phrases short and specific. Use the first person and present tense. The phrases should be positive as opposed as negative. And when you recite a phrase to yourself, say it with intent. So the voice also that you use to speak to yourself, speak kindly and repeat those phrases often. The next one is C. Here is use visualization exercises, imagery and mental practice. The ability of the providers to visualize the steps of a procedure or clinical skills they are preparing to perform. So try to visualize it and it can, it can serve as a practice run in the provider's mind before he or she actually performs a procedure. Rehearsing one's um, mind activates the same neurological network needed to successfully pre perform a, tam a task. Sorry, And this is even enhanced if it's something that you've done before. So um, mental imagery is the most effective when specific and vivid details are incorporated. Um, so I think in this article specifically, this is the one that they go through someone who needs to perform a thoracotomy and they work through examples of what that looks like. So for instance, if you were to refresh yourself, um, you would picture each portion of the thoracotomy procedure. You start with the first skin incision and move to delivering the heart, looking for the expected hole, placing your finger on it. You then image these steps that you must that must occur during the resuscitation while you're performing the procedure. You tell the charge nurse the equipment that you will need and the assistance that you require. So be as specific as possible. The next one is focus. So here I thought it was interesting. So this is the idea that you develop and use a trigger word. So you should use a trigger word before starting a procedure or a resuscitation, a word that they choose to bring his or her full attention to a task at hand. The key purpose of a trigger word or phrase is to activate the provider's selective attention and allow him to focus 
on a on the situation. The environment cues necessary to complete the task at hand. For instance, like in the example of the thoracotomy, they had the situation. So EMS arrives, and the situation is that they stated is as they stated on the radio call. Your team is prepared. Uh, RT is present to start intubation, and nursing is preparing to administer blood products. You pick up the number 10 blade from the thoracotomy tray, and just before you lay the knife to the skin, you take a deep breath and say the word smooth to yourself. The word has the same effect now as it had in your previous mental simulation. You focus on slow, controlled performance of the thoracotomy procedure. I don't know if any of you have um, gone through these techniques. I know that sometimes during intubation, I do the breathing. And I think I can think of a couple of staff that have done that uh, with me. And that actually triggered me to kind of think that. Um, and then the talk, I'm sure, I'm sure all of you can relate to a certain extent that but with talking to themselves in their, in their head. But the scene rehearsing, I must say that I'm not very good with that. I think simulation is probably a good, um, starting point or a good tool for this and then but the focus on triggering words I thought was very interesting but there's a lot more research anyways in the sports medicine world I will say about words that kind of have a meaning and that you've rehearsed with and that can essentially change your physiology and get you into a mental state that you have put yourself in before so I thought was very interesting so learning how to prepare and respond more effectively in advance of potentially stressful situations and how to refocus one's attention in these moments would be a tremendous value. The application of these PEPS offers great potential in this regard. So the skills are designed specifically to mitigate the stress and help optimize psychological readiness and performance. So just a little word on PEPS that I had. Um, they had... P-E-T-T-L-E-P, -E -E which was another acronym during their, um, oh my gosh, their um, paper. So it it's meant to stand for the physical nature of a task, specifics of the environment the task will be performed in, type of task, timing of individual steps or moments, learning the content of a movement, the emotional task, completion and perspective of the person. So it's kind of like these frameworks that allow you to kind of break down a situation, try to acknowledge the feelings, the mental talk that you'll be doing, and try to change a little bit of that narrative in order to see, um, to acknowledge that stress. Uh, I'll say put it aside for probably lack of a better word, and bring forth um, the mental state that you need in order to perform a task. So um, I did some research a little bit on psychological skills training and found an article that was also looking in at this um, in the area of medicine. So there were those articles and um, there was another one that I found that Dr. Brooks was actually a co-author on and it's the psychological skills training. So um, these are two books that I read in an article that was published in Australia that exists with kind of like this similar framework that I've talked to about before, but they call it psychological skills training per se, or 
specifically. It's a systematic acquisition and practice of different psychological techniques to improve cognitive and technical performance. And these trainings consist of three phases, education, skill acquisition, and practice. Um, so the first phase, education, occurs when an individual is made aware of how their thoughts and feelings can affect their performance, as well as benefits of um, psychological skills training. They also include discussion of scientific evidence uh, behind various techniques. So very similar, like I said, of what we talked before, but probably I would say a little bit more evidence-based, trialed, and more pertaining to the world of medicine. In the acquisition phase, the actual strategies and skills such as visualizing techniques, relaxation, exercises, and arousal um, regulation skills are explained and taught. Um, in this phase, psycho psychologists note the importance of specifically adapting the techniques to the unique needs of individuals based on their personalities and the circumstances they will be performing in. And then finally, the practice phase occurs when the instructed techniques are rehearsed regularly and simulated or in the, or in the actual environment. Um, in this phase, the goal is to make the psychological skills habitual, automatic, and seamlessly integrated into your performance. So these two books um, that I found were uh, written by a psychologist, Michael Askin. Uh, he published, I think you see, The Cold Calm, which is a mental toughness skills for medical emergencies. Um, and these books adapt really uh, psychological skills training not sure if I mentioned, into the world of medicine. And they actually have one that is for uh, pre-hospital um, medics. So yeah, I thought these were interesting. So these are different, I guess, frameworks. I was trying to build a case as to why psychological skills or performance is important um, and what exists I guess in the world around us to try and optimize that so those are different frameworks there's the wheel as I've mentioned there's the article that they I think they tried to implement I think at the University of Manitoba or that's where it was published from at least and then these two books that were in passing in some of the videos and podcasts that I watched that offer different I guess techniques um, and different frameworks I'll just, sorry, go back to the last slide. I had a couple of notes that I wanted to like touch about. So um, when I was discussing with Dr. Brooks before this um, talk, really, so he touched a lot about, and I think I mentioned this at the beginning, is that the story we, the stories we tell ourselves will often impact a narrative and impact our state of mind um, in order to perform tasks and show up. So, and sometimes we need to update that story, make it more accurate and more fitting to who we are now. And the idea of picking a vision of a better story. And so that is all part of being better prepared, being more self-aware and being able to um, be in tune with ourselves and try to really optimize, um, I guess, skills, teaching, um, mentoring that we need in order to show up at work, in order to not constantly stay in that emotional state of arousal and just, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, let our emotions run wild. 
This talk of mine wasn't the longest talk. I was hoping that it would be probably thought-provoking and also allow exposure to some techniques that exist out there and that have been published and some that are a little bit more focused on, um, I will say, medicine. Um, so it's not going through tough times in and out of itself that leads to the value that adversity has to offer us. It's what we do with those experiences that matters the most, how we interpret them and ready for them and how we heal from them. This is what makes experiences able to teach us or torture us, as I mentioned before. But establishing a personal framework that can help people navigate through difficulties of adversity and by having a certain mindset with facing adversity and stressful situations, it allows for better mental preparedness and allows for better performance. So as I said, I was hoping that this talk would provide us a framework on how to cultivate approach mental preparedness and also allow you to reflect on your performance. I'm also hoping to open up your minds and touch base with Dr. Brooks, who I talked to, um, and he mentioned that he does stress inoculation and kind of follows that wheel a little bit, um, a lot with I want to say it's emergency uh, physicians and their residency. And I was hoping to get actually their mindfulness program of how they're able to do that and hoping to bring that forward, hopefully in Saskatchewan. Um, but yeah, that is so one of the quotes that he has, and that's in his rebel EDM talk is you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. As I mentioned, it's kind of like a shorter talk. Um, I'm open to questions, discussion, but kind of a little bit of a, I'm not sure if polarizing is the right word or kind of like a vulnerable talk to say the least. Um, but like I said, it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart and that as I was going through residency in R3, I think there's lots of changes to navigate as much as a resident, as a staff, um, and I've been trying to maybe cultivate a bit more of an approach or try to rely on things in order to allow me to be pre better prepared for the day and not just, I say, excessively put my nose in books. Um, and reading this kind of brought me a little bit of uh, hope or a little bit more practical tools in order to better face the day. I'm sure we can all relate to days where it seems like they're very emotionally charged things aren't going your way. Um, I think we had a simulation on, um, or have been talking a lot about like microaggressions and how things happen sometimes in our environment that we kind of like brush off, but are actually not okay repetitively. And um, I mean, I probably do it where sometimes I take on my emotions and put them on a situation and they get the best of me. But yeah, hoping to kind of like open discussion, open thoughts, um, and if not, let you guys uh, leave earlier for the weekend. But, but that's what I had for you guys. Um, I will also be, like I said, in contact with Dr. Brooks, hoping to hopefully get a bit more um, framework or tangible things of what he does in order to um, stress inoculate and really work through that framework with his residents. Um, yeah, so thank you very much for your attention.
You've been listening to Airway Breathing Conversation, a podcast hosted and presented by the anesthesiology residents at the University of Saskatchewan. Please note that while this podcast is run by healthcare professionals, it is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. We are very thankful to our guests for taking the time to share their wisdom with us this episode, and a very special thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us and our associated USASC Anesthesia accounts on social media. You can find all our social media links on our Linktree page at linktr.ee slash abc underscore podcast. You can also find the department's social media links on their Linktree page at linktr.ee slash usask underscore anesthesia. We'll see you next episode, but until then, stay calm, take a breath, and always remember your ABCs.